and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hey, Jocelyn, how exactly do you solve a problem like Maria? By sending 10 women to Andrew Lloyd Webber's Maria School on television? Actually, yeah. God, next you'll tell me there's a Greece training school for Danny and Sandy wannabes. You'd be right again. We're about to take you over the rainbow where any dream will do as we discuss the rise of the musical theater reality shows. You know, the very thing that made Laura Austinus a Broadway star? Grab some jam and bread. We're spilling all the reality show tea as we go back to the early 2000s. At the height of reality-style television shows such as American Idol and The Simple Life, it was only a matter of time before the theater world took a stab at auditioning unknown aspiring performers in front of millions across the world in the comfort of their living rooms. Well, I grew up without cable, so... Well, then you'd be surprised to discover how the first in a string of televised theater competitions came to life. Does the name Scarlett Johansson ring a bell? The Hollywood actress was set to play the lead role of Maria Von Trapp, in the new West End production of The Sound of Music. Negotiations fell through, and after a four-year search for an actress to fill the role, Andrew Lloyd Webber approached the BBC in 2005 with an idea to allow the public to cast the role through a talent search competition. But doesn't every competition have a panel of judges? Well, to train the potential Marias and judge them during the live shows, a panel of industry professionals were chosen. Andrew Lloyd Webber, of course, musical theater composer and producer, and co-producer of the New Stage production. David Ian, theater producer and co-producer of the New Stage production. John Barrowman, musical theater performer, dancer, singer, and actor. And Zoe Tyler, voice coach, singer and performer, and vocal coach to the finalists. Thus, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria was born. Auditions were held around the UK in 2006, open to both professionals and amateur performers over the age of 17. The top 200 made it through to the London callbacks, where they performed for the judges to secure one of 50 places at Lloyd Webber's Maria School, where over four days they would receive vocal and drama training. During Maria School, contestants were eliminated to leave 20 finalists who were taken to Andrew Lloyd Webber's house, where they performed for 50 people from the entertainment business. Ten finalists were then chosen and taken to the live studio finals. The series began with two episodes following the audition stages of the competition before revealing the final ten at the end of the episode. The final 10 contestants then competed in the live studio finals over six weeks. Each week, the contestants sang and performed during the live show, receiving feedback from the judges following their performance. The public would then vote for their favorite Maria, and the two contestants with the fewest votes performed in a sing-off in front of Andrew Lloyd Webber, who then decided which Maria to keep in the contest. This was repeated with the top 10, the top 9, and the top 8. With the top 7 and top 5, two were voted off in the program, and there were two different sing-offs. ALW had no say in the final casting decision when in the concluding edition of the series, it was left to the public to choose who should play Maria out of the final two contenders, Connie Fisher and Helena Blackman. After more than 2 million votes were cast, the winning entrant was revealed as Fisher, who won a six-month contract to play Maria in the West End production, performing six out of the eight shows weekly. So that was the very first musical theater reality show on television. However, I want to bring it back for a hot second to what 
I believe, was the very first Broadway talent search, which was televised, but it wasn't a weekly reality show. In May of 1996, the producers of Annie and the popular department store Macy's made ties to sponsor the Annie 20th Anniversary Talent Search. The producers agreed to select one finalist from each regional store to compete in a final audition at Macy's Herald Square store in New York City. They also agreed to offer the winner of the final audition a contract for that role to appear in the 20th anniversary production of Annie on Broadway. By the time they made it to New York, three girls had pulled ahead as candidates for the title role, including Joanna Pasidi, who had auditioned for the show in Philadelphia. The audition process was filmed for Turning Point and was broadcasted on television. At Macy's in New York City, the Annie Hopefuls, parents, and the press were all in attendance to hear the contest results. Andrea McArdle, the show's original star, was to tap the winner on the shoulder as the announcement. McArdle walked over to Joanna, lifting the young girl up in her arms. That's how she learned she was going to be a Broadway star. After a few weeks of rehearsal, the show hit the road launching an eight-city tour before it reached Broadway. Basidi starred in 106 performances with the national tour. In Boston, two weeks before opening night, Joanna came down with bronchitis. And the producers faxed Joanna the news that she was being replaced by her eight-year-old understudy, Brittany Kissinger. Come opening night, none of the former Annies were in attendance, standing by Joanna's side in what became a Broadway dream come true turned nightmare. Yikes. Yikes is right. This was actually a really big deal because many people knew about the search for Annie since it was heavily publicized around the country in one of the biggest retail stores, Macy's. So it definitely left a sour taste in the mouths of audience members because... One thing you definitely shouldn't do in ticket sales is publicly crush a child's dream, (laughs) Uh, especially if that child actor is playing everyone's favorite child character, Annie. I'd I'd stay away from that. (laughs) However, you will all love this. So while it doesn't make up for what happened to sweet Joanna, something really lovely is that Bill Berloni, everyone's favorite pet trainer, Gave Joanna the dog who played Sandy alongside her in the out-of-town tryouts. That's cute. That's really sweet. So, as mentioned earlier, with the success of shows like American Idol, why wouldn't Broadway aim to make a splash by discovering the next big star? It'll come as no surprise they took a stab at America's favorite nostalgic musical, Grease, for the very first American theater reality show. Grease, You're the One That I Want, was a series set on casting the lead roles of Sandy Dombrowski and Danny Zuko in the upcoming $10 million Broadway revival. Although the TV show was a flop in terms of ratings, the series generated so much interest in the Broadway revival that ticket sales had topped $9 million. That's 90% of the investment. Yep. Similar to what we had already seen in the overseas reality shows, 50 contestants attended Grease Academy at the actual high school where they filmed Grease for intensive training and were then cut down to 12 contestants who were selected by the judges. The panel of three judges consisted of director-choreographer Kathleen Marshall, Grease co-writer Jim Jacobs, and British producer David Ian. We, of course, already know how this goes. Contestants perform, then America votes, and the bottom two get eliminated following a sing-off. And yet another messed up way of saying, you're not what we're looking for in the role, 
The eliminated Danny sang Sandy as his grand exit, and the eliminated Sandy sang goodbye to Sandra D as her grand exit, with the remaining contestants singing backup. This could be said for all of the bottom two performances of any reality show, but if you ever need a lesson in overacting, any of those performances will do. They were just, they were all out there selling everything they had, taking lyrics literally and giving specifics like "Mm," talking about a ring I'm gonna point to my finger talking about tears running down my cheeks let me drag my index finger down my cheek they were giving the overacting performance of a lifetime and you know what I ate all of it up I ate it up and I know America did too (laughs) it's like the only reality show I watch is drag race And when they have to lip sync for their lives, you know that they're going to be doing backflips, splits. It's like just you may as well just sit in a split and lip sync the whole song. We know you're going there anyway, buddy. Well, you know what? It was that level. It was that level. (laughs) They were all given a nickname like Slacker Danny, Small Town Sandy, Ballerina Sandy. You get the point. Or maybe you don't. The nicknames were a little too specific for audiences to truly understand. In true reality show style, the production team wanted to pin everyone against each other to try and make them say, well, bad things about the other contestants. The girls worked to figure out a way to trick the producers, but there were always cameras around. However, even though they lived in a house where they could be filmed all the time, the cameras couldn't go into the bathroom. I mean, you know, I would hope not. Inside the bathroom, they'd all meet without cameras, and that's where they would gather and decide what mean things they would say about each other basically scripting the reality show full force as if this style of auditioning for a role wasn't hard enough they had to deal with the stress of scripting their own petty comments hey we do that yeah well we know i'm bad at improv i need like a solid three days to think of a good comeback line in the season finale on march 25th 2007 it was announced that the program's viewing audience chose contestants laura osnes and max crumb to star as sandy and danny The runners-up were Ashley Spencer and Austin Miller. Osnes and Crumb stayed with the Broadway company until July 20, 2008. Two days later, Ashley Spencer and third runner-up Derek Keeling took over the roles of Sandy and Danny on Broadway. Did you know Derek Keeling passed away a few years ago? What? No. I was very, very devastated too. That's so sad. Yeah, he was like, he was my favorite Danny on the the series. I'm so sad. Yeah. And you yeah, saw him live, sad. right? You Did you see no. Ashley do it, I thought? No. no? I, I never saw Grease live. My grandparents went and brought me back, like, a bunch of playbills, so I have those. But no, I didn't see it live. Okay, um, that's why I was confused, because yeah. you have Ashley up in your room. I do. Yeah, that's from Rock of Ages. That's a story for another time. Well, much like the British version of, well, this, along <laughs> with every theater reality show, almost every song was so wrongfully suited for each contestant i mean you got some of the top names in musical theater and songwriting yet they couldn't find a proper song f- suit it for each performer's voice because it's rigged mm-hmm. yeah you can say that again because <laughs> it's rigged <laughs> there was actually quite a few performers who were showcased to be like a villain within the cast as well Uh, But I think Seamus on Any Dream Will Do takes the cake for when he was eliminated and wrote his very own exit song about booking a show of his own while the other contestants looked on in shock, confusion. 
They didn't know if they should continue to sing, but they did, which added to the level of cringe. <laughs> but you know what? It's the level of petty I aspire to be. It really is. Thank you, Seamus, for that. <laughs> However, nobody comes close to the awesome, blossom, fabulous, fantastic, villainized Cassie S. I know you've all been waiting for us to tackle this one. So let's get into it. This reality show is done a little differently, and it's probably the best-known theater reality show. In 2008, a nationwide search for the next Elle Woods was announced with MTV assuring brunettes, redheads, and other non-blondes that they also had a shot at portraying the platinum leading lady. Later on in the series, they bring the Elle potentials to a hair salon, where they literally fry their hair with bleach and send them on their way with the brassy blonde that even Vivian Kensington would be ashamed of. They did them so dirty. It was bad. It was awful. <gasps> Poor Autumn. She had the most gorgeous red curls, if you all remember. And they literally bleached it to a yellow. It wasn't even blonde. It was like, it was like piss yellow. And they straightened it. It was. And they straightened it so much that it looked like, um... What do you call that? You know, on corn, like the kernels? No, not kernels. Like the hair of the corn. Yeah, that's that's you know, what it's there's called. There's a name for it. The hair of the corn. That is what her hair looked like. The hair is yellow as corn. Go watch the episode, please, because it is just. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> Casting for the search for the next Elle Woods was a twofold process, as the team was looking for both stage stars and reality TV personas. Candidates went through interviews, personality tests, and psychological evaluations. The day before the big audition, the L hopefuls were sent to a Midtown hotel where they had to give in their phones, there was no newspapers in the rooms, and they taped the doors shut. I would be out of the competition at this point because even if I passed the psychological evaluation, which is like also... Would I? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. But if I did, that would do me in. They'd have to retake the test after locking me in the hotel room with tape. The tape yeah. would kill me. I'd be like, that's it. It's not worth it. It's, it's not, not worth, worth it. it. No, it's not. <laughs> after weeks of filming, Legally Blonde the Musical, The Search for Elle Woods, premiered on June 2nd, 2008 on MTV with host Haley Duff. The show ran for eight episodes. During the course of the auditions, the three judges determined which girls to eliminate and which ones to continue in the competition. After the judges figure out who will go and who will stay, they write the names down in order by best audition, so on the list, similar to the one referred to during the song, So Much Better. Haley Duff was then given the list and announces the list in order. The remaining girls who are not on the list would head to the building's casting office where the three judges determine the eliminated contestant. That's also kind of like psychologically messed up because you're taking the thing that is so Elwood's, right? So like, is that my name up on that list? And then you're turning it into a negative for these girls. That's like really messed up, man. I'd be really sad. Listen... <laughs> Don't get me started Ugh. on negative things about reality shows. We'll get into that later. <laughs> the competition was won by 20-year-old Bailey Hanks from Anderson, South Carolina. The show saw an immediate box office bump between Laura Bell Bundy's final performance and the cast change. Which I suppose, yeah, you could thank MTV for that one. Hey, Chrissy, 
There's a reality show that I know is really close to our <gasps> there hearts. There most certainly is. However, to talk about that show, we'll have to start at the very beginning. Wait, no, you know what? Wrong musical. I guess we'll have to start somewhere over the rainbow. In 2010, after working on Love Never Dies, Andrew Lloyd Webber set off on the yellow brick road to find a performer to play the iconic role of Dorothy Gale along with the Toto for his new production of The Wizard of Oz. Just like in previous competitions, 20 contestants made it through the audition rounds and performed in the live shows. Each finalist wore a different colored dress and silver slippers, and they'd be stripped of those silver slippers when voted off before being sent up on a moon into the rafters. Which I never quite understood. Why a moon? Why not a rainbow? Budget cuts. Considering they likely spent the show's budget on those two massive ruby red slippers on the side of the stage. I'd say yeah, probably. Speaking of ruby slippers, the winner of the series, Danielle Hope, claimed a pair of her own ruby slippers as her prize, as well as the starring role. Now for the one close to our hearts. In 2012, Canada received its own version of Over the Rainbow. The competition began with a Dorothy boot camp run by Andrew Lloyd Webber, which trained contestants and narrowed the competition down to 10 finalists. Now listen, if you are of the generation of theater kid that Chrissy and I are, you probably know at least five people who either auditioned for or wanted to audition for Over the Rainbow. I tried to audition for this. I was all ready to go. I had my little Dorothy inspired dress. It was super cute. It's from Jessica Simpson. Anyways, mm. <laughs> they told me I needed to be 16 at the time of the audition. I was crushed, you guys. I had like two months to go until I was 16. And I thought I needed to be 16 at the time that the production began in Toronto instead of like the audition process. I don't know why I thought that. I read it wrong, but it broke my heart because I really wanted to fulfill my dream of being in my favorite thing ever, a theater reality show. <laughs> Something interesting to note was that this was the first theater reality show with a voting app. So you can see how social media began to play a part in the scheme. Basically, there was an over the rainbow app where you'd go on every week and gain Dorothy points by playing games and then you'd use them towards your favorite contestant which I did religiously because I'm a sucker for a fun voting system <laughs> you're a sucker for anything <laughs> on November 4th 2012 20 year old Danielle Wade was chosen as Dorothy to perform the role for Mervish Productions in Toronto which started on December 20th 2012 oddly enough the show was also auditioning dogs for the part of Toto the winner was a small mixed breed named Lindsay. However, Lindsay did not appear in the stage production. So I guess Lindsay also experienced the heartbreak of having a role removed from right under them. Yeesh, somebody call the SPCA. Woof. Most recently, these competitions began to find a new home in the digital age with the search for Roxy on Broadway.com, which took place online with friends, family, and newfound fans voting for Roxy heart potentials. Eventually, Emma Pittman won the competition. However, due to COVID, her run as Roxy was postponed until 2022, where she only played the role for two weeks, which is honestly it's ridiculous. Really they should have let her run it longer. She was really good. She was amazing. I've never heard of that happening with one of these competitions where it's like, you won the role for two weeks. But just for two <laughs> weeks. It's usually, it's usually like a, a three to six month to a year contract. It's very weird. 
Well, you know what? These digital competitions have been around for a little while now because I remember the Rent Revival kicked off their um, press by doing a search online for cast members to audition for the show. I don't think it was like you'd automatically get a role. I think it was the opportunity to then audition for like uh, Michael Greif and such. I don't know. Yeah, Mm. which was interesting. Um, But I think they also just had like open auditions. So I don't really understand the point of that. Yeah, me neither. But, uh, you know, (laughs) that was a lot of information. It was. So let's talk about it. Theater reality shows. Are they a good idea? I personally really do love (laughs) them because, yes, it's inevitable that you're going to see a few auditioning who signed up for the heck of wanting to be on TV and don't have the stamina it takes to be in an ongoing production performing eight shows a week. But within that mix, you might have a Samantha Barks or a Laura Osnes. I just, I appreciate that anyone can audition. These are open calls for anyone to audition and show their talent to some of the top casting directors and producers in the business. It's an excellent opportunity, but I think the only time this truly worked in terms of creating a solid fan base for ticket sales is probably with Grease. Because the production itself didn't last long on Broadway, but the people who were attending this particular production had watched the reality show and they were now fans of Max Crum and Laura Osnes and they were going to the show to see the people they supported on TV for the two months it was on. All right. (laughs) Some people aren't going to like what I have to say. (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm preparing myself because... Some people aren't going to like what I have to say because I am kind of the complete opposite. I genuinely don't like reality television. I don't have a taste for it. I, you know, I think it brings out the worst in people on purpose, which isn't something I vibe with. Uh, So when it comes to the theater reality show, The good part of it is, yes, that it gives unknown performers a chance to really shine and be spotlighted. But if as an industry or as a production, you decided, hey, we're going to showcase new voices and you committed to that, you know, same end result minus publicity. But when you think of the amount of money it costs to put on a reality TV show... You could probably just hire an unknown person and hire someone really good to do a lot of marketing. You know what I mean? Like, I do. it all yeah. balances out kind of, I think, in the end. But I think my biggest issue, yes, the theater industry can be competitive. And you know what? It is competitive because there are a few, amount of, few amounts of roles. And very often you have lots of people, sometimes hundreds of people auditioning for the same part. I mean, I personally don't think of it as a competition. I'm not that kind of gal, but I won't get into that whole idea. But what theater reality shows do is they take that, they push it to the nth degree, and they really showcase a world where theater is cutthroat and look at all these girls being mean to each other and blah, 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 which... I feel like for the, yes, you always have like one or two people who are like that, but that's not 
what it really is. It's not legit. And I think what it does is it creates, it continues to create a toxic narrative where we're putting ourselves against each other. It continues to create an add-on to the toxic narrative of theater being toxic and competitive and nasty and, you know, like, oh, like, showgirls her and blah, blah, blah. I'm just genuinely not about that. And I think as an industry, once we start reframing that and reworking it from the inside, things will be so great. But I will say I did like what they did with the search for Roxy in the sense that it was like more individualized. It wasn't like actively pitting these girls against each other. It was, you know, showcasing all of them and then choosing one. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that was a great idea because it promoted the show and it also promoted these individuals in the best way possible so if we're gonna have theater reality shows let's do it that way I yeah I mean I completely agree with you I think for me growing up in Canada I guess I never really saw like the big Americanized theater productions in a way that was accessible of course Mm -hmm. and getting to watch Grease you're the one that I want was like hey, here's this inside look at what it's like to go through an audition process and to have your dreams come true. Because previously, like I said in an episode, I think it was our Grease one, I watched <laughs> American Idol growing up, as so many of us did, and I knew I liked singing, but I didn't want to be just like a singer, like a pop singer. I wanted mm. something where I could be like, like I was watching Olivia Newton John in Greece. I wanted to be like that, you know? And then the Greece reality show came out and I was like, oh, this is a real thing. Like people do this as a job. They can play mm -hmm. this character and get paid for it. That blew my <laughs> mind. I didn't fully connect that that was a real thing you could do. And it wasn't something that was just in the movies, just in Hollywood. So I'm grateful for it giving a way to the mainstream media to connect and discover this art form. Mm -hmm. um, but there's better ways of going around it where it's not so toxic. Yeah. 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 I completely agree with you. I love the accessibility of it. And I loved because I didn't I didn't have cable, but I did watch um, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria, the mm. Canadian version. Yeah. And I did watch Over the Rainbow, the Canadian version. And for me, it was really exciting to see Canadian productions and Canadian mm -hmm. professional theater be recognized on that level. Like that was insanely cool to me um, and always will be. I think before we wrap up, I do need not to end on a negative note, Jocelyn, but, you know, as you were talking, I realized, you know, a lot of these competitions, like, yes, they have some for male roles, they have some for female roles, but a lot of them are for female roles. So it's literally monetizing off of pitting women against each other for sport. And that just does not sit right with me maybe and I do agree but I would say having watched all of these that the men were far more toxic <laughs> <laughs> far more toxic you heard me talk about Seamus 
Well, I'll have to act. I'll have to. I'll, maybe I'll watch the men just just so that I can Please make do. a fair a, a fair guess. But like, just when you look at like the shows, there's like the majority of them are for roles like Elle or Maria or this or that or what's her face Sandy. in Oliver. Oh, right, Nancy. Nancy. But yeah, you know, and I'm just kind of like that's it's 2022. <laughs> that's all. That's all. But. Anything that makes theater accessible to the mainstream audience kind of has to be res- maybe not respected, but appreciated. Yeah. Appreciated. I, I have a question for you. Okay, hit me. If you could have a show, a theater reality show about casting any role, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> you're gonna laugh you're gonna laugh because i think we're thinking of the same one we are okay wait i want a tv show no don't say it count of three ready yeah one two three strat Strat. (laughs) (laughs) because i feel like it's such a hard role to cast but it's really it's not that hard there are people who can do it but i feel like i don't know i I would have really so much fun auditioning strats honestly yeah i'm thinking about maybe a career change maybe i should be a casting director i'd have so much fun casting people in roles I know, me too like i could sit and watch auditions all day long i'd be like yeah. oh, ooh, maybe this show isn't for you but i'm gonna i'm gonna keep you in my special folder and i'm gonna call you later but you know it's the thing of like that would be a good one because and it's we've seen this with all of the other reality shows but strat is a role that if not cast well which it always has been in my opinion but if cast well that can make or break the production yeah yeah the show is really kind of like strat is just a really massive massive Mm. part and I think it would be really cool because it would also work as a television series because um, Meatloaf's music is so in the mainstream, right? Yeah. People who aren't fans necessarily at a musical theater would definitely tune in to see like 12 hot guys belt Meatloaf songs every week. Oh my God, I would watch that religiously. Oh, <laughs> Can we whew. produce this? Do we have enough in our piggy banks for I'm that? Su- <laughs> I'm sweating just thinking about it. It would be great. Oh. You know, I'm actually surprised. I need a cold shower. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't a search for the next Drew or Sherry in Rock of Ages back in the early 2000s because all of the songs that they did on these shows would have fit perfectly for casting those two roles. You know, I would also be another great one in Mamma Mia. I don't know. I'm I'm hearing what I you're saying, this. but I want. 12 beautiful men belting meatloaf songs every week can we get in touch with julian stoneman call me i have a great idea oh my god yeah anyway i'm not gonna be able to think about anything else so we should probably wrap up this episode we will wrap it up right now (laughs) that was a really fun episode it's one we've been sitting on for a while so we're so excited to release it for you Friends, we have some exciting news for you. We now have a Kickstarter to help us fund the podcast. And as of yesterday, we have reached our initial goal. However, you can continue to support us and grab an awesome reward for donating, including a mystery playbill slash program, a Zoom meet and greet with us, 
an in-episode shout-out, a limited edition signed poster, and much more. The funding will be used for purchasing a website and eventually better equipment to bring you the best quality possible, as well as to fund expenses of purchasing gifts and products for giveaways to engage with our listeners and build our listener base. And of course, subscriptions to websites to help us study our episode topics, or things like Zoom, where we actually connect with people to do those interviews. By supporting us on Kickstarter, you're helping fund the expenses of running a podcast. Being Canadian, we're actually unable to be monetized. So every cent given to us by our generous Kickstarter supporters goes towards funding the podcast. Breaking the Curtain is completely independent and self-funded. So everything you see on our social media or in our episodes and the podcast itself has been created solely by us, Chris and Joss. The podcast itself has become a second job Mm -hmm. as it takes hours to research to bring you the most accurate information, writing scripts, recording, editing, creating graphics, and more. We want to extend a massive thank you to our generous Kickstarter backers, the Creative Fund, Brendan of Wait in the Wings, Gwen Rickard, Michelle Gregg, Blake, Amanda Shrum, Dylan Pakalowski and Mark Bonani, thank you so much for your generous donations and your support. You know, the Kickstarter has only been live for a week, and the fact that we have already surpassed our goal. We are nearing $300. Which is amazing. I know when we set this up, I was like, Chrissy, is $250 too much? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, is that too high? Uh, and I was like, Maybe let me put it for 60 days because I don't think we'll reach it. And in under a week, you brought our initial goal up to $300. Yeah. So I am absolutely blown away. We both are by all of your support uh, to the people who donated. And, you know, if you haven't donated, but the people who have shared and interacted with our post Mm because that, you know, just passes it on to other people. And of course, just everyone who has listened to us. For the last two years that's a that's a heavy job <laughs> and <laughs> and um I said this last year I think in like an Instagram post so I'll say it here for posterity but you know every time one of you listens to an episode you're spending an hour or 30 minutes with us and I think it's so special that you invite us into your lives that way and that some of you come back and you listen to every episode or maybe you just come back for the ones you're interested in. But, you know, if you're someone who has taken the time to invite us into your world, just thank you. I think it's it's uh, very sweet and it gives me goosebumps to think of how cool it is that in this big, crazy world we're connecting. Very well said, my friend. That was... That was so sappy. As always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn. Together, we're Breaking the Curtain, and you can find us wherever you like to listen to podcasts or where you're listening to us right now. (laughs) And we love you all very much. Yes, thank you for two wonderful years. Bye. Bye!